Welcome to Advent. Advent is a season in which we prepare our hearts and our lives, our, our homes, everything about us for the coming of Jesus. And so over the next four weeks, we are going to be walking and preparing ourselves as, as disciples of Jesus, as families, as a church uh, for the coming of Christmas. And so what we're going to be doing over the course of these four weeks is, I'm, I mean, I'm just, I'm excited about what we have planned. Because we, we don't just see the, the, the coming of Jesus in, in the birth of, like, in the manger in, in Bethlehem. It starts long before that. Actually, the entire Bible, it anticipates that, and, and tells of the great Messiah King who is coming into the world to bring hope to a dark and broken world. Actually, you can find whispers of the Christmas story from, from Genesis to Revelation, and, and so as we prepare for the coming of Jesus, we're going to explain, as Pastor Tom said, unexpected places throughout the Bible where the gospel penetrates the darkness to bring the light of the Advent candle. So actually, the, the Christmas story, it, it doesn't begin in a manger. It starts in a garden. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. If you've got a Bible from the back, if you, if you don't own a Bible, you, don't, you need a Bible today, go ahead and you can grab one back there. It's actually page 2. In the, the Bible's in the back. We're in Genesis chapter 3 today. And I want to read the first 15 verses, um, and, and then we're going to talk about it today. So it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the, any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is, not in, that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. When the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden of the cool of the day, they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly and you'll eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put anonymity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. You will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And so these words in, in Genesis chapter 3 are really the, the first glimmer of the gospel in the Bible. So I, as we're walking through this season of Advent, I want you to think of Advent maybe like a, a two-part play or like a, a, a mystery novel, right? So, so if you tend to play, but only come in for the second half of the play, then 
Like, you don't have any idea who the, the characters are. You have no idea what's happened up to that point. You missed the beginning. But if you leave it intermission, then, then you have no idea how it ends. And so this is why we're going to be looking at these places throughout the whole Bible to hear how, just to hear that the whispers of Christmas during Advent. But you can also think of, maybe you can think of the story uh, in, in the Bible just like as a, as a mystery novel, right? Where in the early pages, like you just, you're not really sure what's going on. You don't have enough information. You just kind of have hints and, and suggestions that compel you to keep reading so you can solve the mystery. And so as we just read though, this, this story that we're reading throughout this series isn't much, so much a mystery as it is a, a battle between good and evil. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And, and so if the reason that Jesus put on flesh and blood and, and entered into this world was to destroy the work of the devil, then we know that this battle is about our sin. And so we, we start this series where sin began, how sin entered into the world in the first place. And so in, as we're reading Genesis chapter 3, like, I, I believe we're dealing with a historical event. Like, in fact, this, this historical event, it determined the, the eternal destiny of humanity. That's what's on the line in what we're reading today. So I believe there was a time in history when God spoke and everything was created. Now, before that time, there was nothing, nothing but God. And God made the world, and he made it for his glory, and he made it for us to know him and love him and trust him. But before we even get to Genesis chapter 3, what we see is God is creating, we see God lighting up the darkness. He's, he's filling the emptiness. He's the creator that was all that was beautiful and delightful and enjoyable. Then he made Adam, made Eve in his image. They, they were created by God. They were in perfect relationship with God. They were in perfect relationship with each other. Adam and Eve, they, they were perfect for each other. Everything was perfect. Everything. In the midst of that perfection, God comes to Adam and Eve, and he says, hey, I want you to enjoy everything that is in this garden, this garden of Eden. But, but I'm going to give you one simple test. Right? And it's a test of their trust in him, of their obedience to him. And so the question becomes, would they? Would Adam and Eve believe God's word? Would they trust God's plan for them? And the reality is, those are the same questions we have to ask ourselves today. Do we believe that God's word is enough for us? Do we trust God's plan for us as we live our everyday, ordinary lives as disciples of Jesus? You know, and, and so like the, the, these, these foundational questions like, are, are are things that we should ask ourselves just regularly, not just during Advent, but every day. Right? Will, will you and I believe God's word? Will we trust God's plan for us? Or we simply will we believe what we want to believe? And will we do whatever we, play, whatever we want to do? Like, that's what's on the line in this story, in our lives. And so as we read the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, in all of that goodness, and all of that perfection, this serpent 
appears. And the serpent is real, but he's not ordinary. And so, so if you're just reading this, this chapter for the very first time, if you could just kind of go back and erase any memory you have of, of ever reading this before, right? Like if you just read this as if it's the first time, it, it's probably confusing to you. Because you, you don't have all the information yet. Right? But, but as you continue to read through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, what you will discover is that this, this is serpent. We're, we're going to see this character again and again and again. In fact, here's what it says in Revelation 12, 9. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So this is, this is what we are confronted with in Genesis chapter 3. We, we, we are confronted with evil in the world. And so listen, we're, we're, not, we're not dealing with some kind of abstract idea or concept. Right? The, the Bible, it, it doesn't allow that option for us. The idea that there's, there's, a, you know, there's just bad things out there. Right? And, and we don't know why there's bad things out there. But I was like, no. We, we actually know why. There are bad things out there. We know that we're dealing with evil, a, a personal intelligence representing this creature that is described as a serpent. So listen, come on. The, the strategy of this creature, the, 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 the deliberate objective of Satan himself is to hinder, and if at all possible, destroy the work of God and of God's kingdom by any means possible, so, I mean, can, can you see what, what we're really, what's happening here in the entrance of, of the serpent on the scene? And God has created all this beauty. It's absolutely perfect. And he pronounces it good time and time again as he is creating. But in comes a slithering serpent. We see that the serpent comes up to Eve. And he asks a question. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And Eve responds, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Whoa, wait a minute. That's not what God said. God didn't say anything about not touching it. For, for whatever reason, Eve has put a, a stronger prohibition on what God has said to her and to Adam. In Genesis 2.17, he said, okay, don't eat the tree, but he didn't say anything about not touching it. And for me, this just begs some questions. So first of all, like, so what is the serpent really seeking to do in this story? I, I think he, he's seeking to, to tempt Eve to distrust God, to doubt the word that God had spoken, and then to question the goodness of God. And why is this important for us? In the 21st century? Because it's still happening today. You, you can be reading God's word, and, and Satan is going to be there to, to tempt you, to, to not trust God's word, to, to water it down, to, to take the parts that you like and be like, oh, I got this. But then the parts that, that are uncomfortable, that challenge you, be like, oh, never mind, I'm going to dismiss those parts. You know, last week I, I asked people to, to fill out a card note card says, hey, here's, here's my next right step. Here's what I think that the Holy Spirit is prompting me to do. We got over 300 of those cards. 
I prayed over every one of those cards, and just there are things where I'm just going to spend the first 10 minutes of my day with God. I'm, I'm, I'm going to start praying with God. I'm going to start reading God's Word and start giving to God's work at our church. I'm going to start serving, and just all kinds of, and it was like from the, the youngest to the oldest in our congregation wrote these things down. Don't you even dare to think for a moment that Satan isn't going to come and tempt you to be like, ah, who cares? That was, that was last Sunday. Don't do that. But as we dig into this deeper, I think that the serpent is saying, you know what, here's the temptation. He's saying God is, is actually, he's depriving you of something. Something really awesome. Something that, you know, you're never going to be fulfilled. You're, you're never going to be really happy if, if you have to stay within the boundaries of, of God's love for you. His care for you plan for you. So this temptation, it really goes after Eve, her, her sight, her hunger, her intellect. Look at verse 5 again. The serpent says, God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. Verse 6, the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. I mean, come on, God had spoken to Adam and Eve. She heard him speak, but now her eyes can see. It has, it has made an appeal to her senses. It was pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom. So it appeared to her, her wisdom, and her, her intellect, her emotions, right? It appealed to, to, for her desire for things to be the way that she would like them to be. We see in this story that the lie of the serpent was far more appealing than the word of God. So Eve ate. Now here's when I get angry. Because Adam was there too. And he ate. He's standing right there. Eve is standing between Adam and the serpent. I mean, every man, we should be like, I'm standing between my wife and my kids and Satan. I'm there to defend them. And Adam he faded into the background. I mean, he wasn't off naming animals. He wasn't, you know, taking a nap. He was just watching the whole thing play out. And, and so, like, we just, I mean, come on. Right? And so Adam, he, he eats because he allowed Eve to lead him there. She was tempted to do it. And, and, and she chose to, to disobey God's clear command. And, and he, was, he was led to believe that there would be no consequences whatsoever to their actions. I mean, come on, the, the lie of Satan is always the same. In the garden and today, that Satan would try to convince you, hey, there's, there's no consequences to living beyond the boundaries of God's plan. And so Eve listens to the serpent. And Adam listens to Eve. And no one listens to God. Then we get to the part that I don't think any of us really like. I think we, we try to convince ourselves that, hey, this won't happen to me. You know, so the, the, we get to the consequences of their decision not to listen to God. And so the serpents promised that their eyes would be open. Well, it was, it was only half right. Because, yes, their eyes, they, they were opened but not to the delights of, of being like God. Their eyes were open to the awareness of their guilt and shame. 
Look at verse seven again. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and, and made coverings for themselves. And now suddenly, just in an instant, they, they see themselves in a, an entirely different light. I mean, they knew they were naked. I mean, it almost seems strange to even make that statement. Of course they knew they were naked, right? It's not like something fell off of them whenever they ate the fruit. They, they were naked before. So, so what is really, what's so significant about this statement? Sin changes everything. It really does. They were now exposed. Their, their nakedness was simply a, a symbol of their reality before God. It's an awareness of, of their consciousness of their guilt. They had sinned in rejecting and disobeying the will of God by, by doing what they had, he had told them specifically. Don't do this. So what did they do next? They ran and they hid. Look at verses 8 and 9. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? I mean, this scene in verses 7 and 9, it's pathetic, right? It's unbelievable. They, they, they sew fig leaves together to, to cover themselves, to, they, to hide from God. Don't they know? Like they, they think they, they need to cover up their, their nakedness as if that's the issue. It's not the issue. Their nakedness is a symbol of their guilt. It's a cover-up. So they're, they're hiding behind trees and leaves because they, they decided to break communion with God. Now they have nowhere to go. What have they done? Well, here, here's how Paul puts it in Romans 1.25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They believed the lie of the serpent instead of the truth of God. They, they chose to, to bow before the things that God had made instead of God. And so beauty and intimacy are replaced with brokenness and isolation. So they're getting ready to get kicked out of the Garden of Eden. But before they, they are banished, God comes looking for them. It says God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. He's calling out, where are you guys? So, like, why, why are they even hiding in the first place? Why don't they just come forward and talk to God about their sin? Why are we, why are you and I, reluctant to talk to God about our sin? Because I think Adam and Eve and we are afraid. We're afraid that God is going to talk to, about, to us about the stuff that, hey, we don't even want to go there. I, do, I spend a lot of energy and time and effort to, to hide those things and keep those things in the dark and not let anybody see them. I don't even want to see them. And yet God comes. Not, and he doesn't do it as an act of judgment. He, he does it out of grace and mercy. He exposes their sin in order that he might cover it. He reveals it in order that he might forgive it. So God calls out to Adam and Eve in verse 9, where are you? To me, that, those are words of hope. Right, I mean, isn't it just, it's just amazing that, that God, he calls out to them. They're fearful. They run. They, they can't hide. 
I mean, they, they, look, I mean, the, the reason that, that God calls out in this way isn't because, hey, I, I need to get some information from you guys. Like, like something he needs to, to figure out. No, he, he's calling out to them so he can express his judgment and then his love. And so why, why did God, you know, even go looking for them in the first place? Because it's his nature. Right? He still loved them, even though they disobeyed him. I mean, and, and if that wasn't true, then, then none of us would have any hope, right? There'd be no hope at all. If God didn't love the rebel, if God didn't come looking for us, if God didn't call out to us, we'd all be hopeless. But he did, as an expression of his love, his mercy. But then, we hear God cursing the serpent. Look at verses 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put anonymity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. You'll crush your head and you'll strike his heel. Now, we see the battle lines being drawn Conflict between the one who will crush the head of the serpent and the one who will bruise his heel. Like this, this is the great conflict, which, which is, I mean, really, I mean, this is the underlying plot line of the entire Bible, right? And, and it really, it, it begins on the next page. Just turn the page, and you'll see Cain kill Abel. Then a couple of chapters later, you see the, the flood because of the wickedness of humanity. And then we see the, the building of the, the Tower of Babel because people wouldn't make a way to heaven so that we could, in essence, be like God. And just keep reading through the Bible. Right? And just because the Bible is it's leading us somewhere. It's leading us to the he. The, the he who will crush your head. And I'm telling you, Satan's agenda... Is, is, is to make sure that we never get to the he. And so we keep reading. David versus Goliath, Babylonians against Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar against Daniel, Herod killing all the boys under two years old. And as you read through the Bible, you begin to discover that Satan is seeking to destroy what God has planned. That, that men and women who, who like are banished from his presence, who are banished from his garden, may actually be brought back into the beauty and wonder and enjoyment of forgiveness instead of shame. Enjoyment of intimacy instead of isolation. Enjoying wholeness instead of brokenness. And then as we step into the New Testament, the subplot now becomes the second Adam, right? Because the first Adam, he, he failed miserably in the garden. But the second Adam, he triumphs in the garden. And so the first Adam was in the garden of Eden. And the second Adam was in the garden of Gethsemane. So Jesus, the second Adam, he doesn't listen to Satan. He listens to God. And he goes to Calvary's cross and, and he triumphs. He crushes the head of Satan. Jesus, as he walks out of that tomb on Easter morning, promises to restore it all. That there is a place where there is no sin and no sorrow and no cancer and no death. A place of beauty and intimacy and wholeness. 
Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4, when the time, the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption, sonship. And so the story of Christmas is about God fulfilling his promises. And, and do you know where the very first promise is in the New Testament? It's just before what we just read. Genesis 2, 17. God says, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, here's the promise, you will certainly die. That's probably not something you're going to write on your Christmas card this year, are you? Right? But it, come on, like, this is, it may not be a, a heartwarming Christmas card, but it has everything to do with Christmas. Because see, this, this promise, it proved true for Adam and Eve when they rebelled against God's commands. And it's still true for you and me. Romans 5.12, Paul says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sinned. And so this, this first promise, come on, it, it hits home with all of us. But, but we celebrate Christmas because God made another promise that there would be an heir of Eve who would come and, and deal the fatal blow to Satan. Matthew 1, 21. She'll give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Well, I want to wrap up today by looking at a drawing. It's called Mary Consoles Eve. We're just going to keep it up there for the rest of the message. I, just, I want you to just look at this. Just take 30 seconds. Study this picture. So in this story, in this picture, we see the whole story. Eve is on the left, Mary's on the right. We see creation, fall, and redemption as told by two women. I just I love the redemptive moment as, as Eve is reaching back into the past to touch her sister. And, and the longer that I look at this picture, the, the more raw it becomes for me. It, it wrecks me because I find myself in that story. You know, here's, here's what I see when I look at Eve. First, I see her posture. I see her exhaustion. I see her weighed down shoulders. Her head is bent. I mean, she can't even look up. She's naked, but, but she's covering her body with her hair. She, she's naked and she's ashamed of it. I'm, just, I'm, I'm overwhelmingly sad for her because I know just how heavy shame can feel. I know all too well how, how to carry that shame with the hopes that, that no one will be able to see it. But everyone can. You know, I'm hit the hardest by the fact that she is clutching that stinking fruit. I want to yell at her like, put it down. Just drop it. Come on. I mean, look at her. She's clutching it to her chest like a, a protective gesture. Like, like you would a nursing child. She's nursing her sin, her failure. 
afraid to put it down or, or maybe unable to put it down. I don't know about you, but I've been there. Clutching to my sin. Because some, like, my sin feels like all I have. My identity. Have you been there? So here's what I would say to Eve. Eve, grace is enough for you. Your, your identity doesn't have to be in that cursed fruit that you're clutching to. Christmas is coming. I think, that, I think that's what Mary is saying to her. You know, she, she's not reaching out to, to grab a hold of the fruit and pull it out of her hand. She's not scolding Eve. In fact, I think Mary, I mean, she doesn't even seem troubled or worried or, or bothered at all. She's comforting Eve with a hand. I mean, do you, do you see her right hand on Eve's cheek? She looks Eve in the eye and, and she smiles. And it's, and it's a smile that, that knows things. It's a smile that, that isn't afraid that Eve has royally screwed things up. Mary knows. Mary knows that, yes, Eve has broken something very beautiful. But Mary isn't worried because she feels redemption in her body the same way that Eve feels shame in hers. You know, Mary, she, she knows that things aren't simply going to be okay, but they will be made right. So Mary reaches out to Eve, even as Eve holds on to that fruit, as if holding on to it will save her. And Mary, she reaches out and she takes Eve's hand and she puts Eve's hand on her belly. And so while Eve can't even bring herself to make a move towards her own freedom, Mary reaches out to her. And so while Eve's body is heavy with shame, Mary invites her to touch what is new. You are carrying shame in your body, Eve, but I'm carrying salvation in mine. You know, Mary is so intent on, on caring for her sister. That's even a wonder that, that she is able to, to crush Satan under her heel. Do you see the, the bottom part of the picture? Like I, it took me a while to see it. It seems like without even looking down, Mary is stepping on evil and crushing it. I mean, and look even closer. I mean, it looks like that Eve is simply, you know, clutching her sin, but, but Eve is also being clutched by sin. Sin is pervasive. Evil finds a way to wrap itself around us. And so we find ourselves right there in the middle of this picture. Sin wrapped around us, choking the life out of us as the one who comes to, to bring us life, reaches out to us. So Advent, it's not about our goodness. Advent is the story of people who, who wouldn't let go of their sin and a God who came for us anyway. Advent is, is Eve clutching her sin, you and I clutching our sin. Advent is Mary bringing Jesus to redeem us and her anyway. Let's pray. Almighty God, sometimes we find ourselves just struck by certain pictures. 
For to me, this one, to me, God, is this overwhelming uh, truth about my own life, and I suspect every one of us here today. You are just reaching out to us. That you made a promise to us thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. There would be one who would redeem what happened in the Garden of Eden. One who would crush the head of the serpent. So God, I pray that we would find ourselves in that story so that we can find ourselves in your story. We can find ourselves in the gospel. That your story would be good news for every one of us. Especially for those of us who are clinging to our sin. Especially those of us who think our identity is caught up in what we've done in the past. God, I pray that we would let go. We would trust that your grace is enough for us. May we cling to the gospel this Advent season. That even as we're preparing our our homes and our, our lives for Christmas, God, would you prepare our souls? Would you do a work in us, through us, for your glory and for our good? May we keep our eyes on you this Advent season. Father, we love you and we praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.